minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos Rosh Chodesh morning. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Shabbat Shalom. 
J.M. and the A.M. Friday morning at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, and around the world on the web, jmtheam.org, and it's Roach Chodesh morning. How you doing, everybody? Friday on this final day of January, day 30 in the month of Shvat, today is Rosh Chodesh Adar 1, the first day of the first day of Rosh Chodesh Adar. No, the first day of Rosh Chodesh for the first Adar. That's how I would put it. Erev Shabbos Parshas Trumo with candle lighting time at 4.52. I think this time last year we were already into the... Uh, Shkolem Zacher Shabbos, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, not this year. It'll be a while. Truma is the week uh, for is the uh, parsha this week with a candle lighting time at 4:52. 4:52 on this era of Shabbos. 27 degrees, 53 percent humidity. Winds west at eight, mostly cloudy with a high temperature of 38. If the Broncos or Seahawks are wondering about the weather for Sunday, it looks like it'll be even warmer than that. Might be about 35, 40 degrees at game time. We saw the Broncos bus go by right after JM and the AM yesterday morning, right down Montgomery Street, accompanied by uh, two um, police cars from Jersey City with their sirens going. Unbelievable. Even this morning there was activity about a block from here with fans coming out and uh, trying to get near the Denver Broncos Hotel. Anyway, that's the story with the weekend. Looks like the weather will be uh, relatively decent compared to what we've been used to. Maybe some morning showers tomorrow as we walk to shul on a Shabbos day. 72 in Yerushalayim, 27, just the reverse here in Jersey City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. Uh, well, our schedule is relatively simple. We've got a, a JM in the AM program until 9 o'clock. Naomi Nachman with the table for two between 9 and 10, starting at 10 o'clock. It's an amazing Erev Shabbos music mix. I would bet Mark Zamek has tossed in some Rosh Chodesh selections as well, all courtesy of our friends at Kedem, and we thank them. Saturday night, Siegel with Avrami tomorrow night at 10, and Matis has JM Sunday, 7 o'clock Sunday morning. And if I reveal anything about the kosher halftime show before the actual halftime show, which we're going to uh, post on Sunday night at NachumSiegel.com, if I reveal anything, I am going to do it. Um, I am going to do it um, on Matis's show Sunday morning. Matis asked me what time I'm available. I think about eight thirty-ish. We should do it. So that's what I'm assuming we're going to do. And uh, I suggest everybody tune into JM Sunday. Um, everyone else should tune into JM Sunday and. Uh, Listen in between 7 and 9 Sunday morning. Then Sunday night at 8 o'clock, or, or around 8 o'clock, around halftime, make sure to click on NahumSiegel.com. I'm just... Oh, two things, by the way. Number one, uh, we do have a pair of Super Bowl tickets in the 300 level. We do have a pair of Super Bowl tickets in the 300 level. Um, the person who's donating them to JM and the AM wants at least... He wants the bidding to start at five grand for the pair. So if you want to give a great charitable contribution and help JM and the AM, and believe you me, we could use the financial help, and you want to go to the game and sit in the 300 level, if you want all of that, then email me, nachum at wfmu.org, nachum, N-A-C-H-U-M, at wfmu.org, and let us know if we have an opening bid. We would love to give those Super Bowl tickets to somebody before candlelighting time 
who wants to give us at least a $5,000 contribution. And obviously, if we get more than one bid, it'll be the highest bidder that will be awarded those tickets. So again, Super Bowl tickets are up for grabs. Uh, contact us if you want to be really charitable to us, and on top of that, go to the game. Th- those are the two requirements. You want to be really charitable to JM and the AM, and you want to go to the game on Sunday. And I want to thank the people who gave us those tickets yesterday to uh, to um, offer to our listeners for a hefty contribution. So please email me if you're interested, w- uh, nachum at wfmu.org, nachum, N-A-C-H-U-M, at wfmu.org. And also, tomorrow, uh, Sunday in the uh, Kosher Halftime Show, in the commercial for Empire Kosher, we, ha- we actually have a Super Bowl commercial, in the commercial for Empire Kosher, there is a football player. There is a person dressed as a football player in the commercial for Empire Kosher Sunday during our Kosher Halftime Show. Can you identify who that player or person dressed up as a player is. And I'll give you a hint. If you know anything about Teaneck, New Jersey, think about where that commercial was filmed. And you might come up with the answer. <laughs> uh, and what was the other thing I wanted to mention? Oh, yeah, the uh, the Nefesh Benefesh spot that we have in that, in that, uh, in that show, in that uh, halftime show on Sunday, is just heartwarming, I think. Really simple, really heartwarming. Anyway, so a lot to look forward to. Make sure you're following us on social media. I will try to tweet throughout the entire game. Uh, Jewish Radio World with Nachum Siegel on Facebook. Jewish Radio World with Nachum Siegel on Facebook. And on Twitter, at Nachum Siegel Net. N-A-C-H-U-M-S-E-G-A-L-N-E-T. All the comments about everything going on during that entire Super Bowl halftime show that we are presenting I will try to tweet throughout the entire thing and throughout the entire game. Who do I think is going to win in my expert opinion? I don't know. All I know is everybody thought Denver would win, and now everyone thinks Seattle's going to win. (laughs) That's my analysis. The whole world thought Denver would win, and now all of a sudden the whole world thinks that Seattle's going to win. So there you have it. The Super Bowl comes to your backyard. You always feel like you have to participate in uh, in the Super Bowl predictions. J.M. and the A.M. at 21 minutes before 7 o'clock. Weekly update is one hour away. We'll uh, take a close look at what's been happening throughout the uh, week. Uh, make sure to be tuned in for that right here at J.M. and the A.M. Uh, weekly update with Malcolm Holmline, 7.40 in the morning. Podcast information regarding the weekly update. All you got to do is go to jmtheam.org in our news section. We have all the info how you can have the weekly update delivered straight to your inbox, to your iTunes, I should say. Um, every single week. So check that out and enjoy. More Arab Shabbos and maybe even some Rosh Chodesh music coming up. JM in the AM. This is a, uh, this is an Arab Shabbos selection from Eitan Katz. Good Shabbos. Good Shabbos. Good Shabbos. Good Shabbos. Good Shabbos. Good Shabbos, good Shabbos. Oh, good Shabbos, good Shabbos, good Shabbos. Good 
Every single thing we do for Shabbos earns us a great reward. So on Wednesday night, if you bake a delicious chocolate cake for Shabbos, just say the cover Shabbos Kodesh and then pop it in the oven. Yum! Let's get ready now. It's almost Shabbos. There is so much work for us to do. Shopping, cleaning, and loads of cooking. Shabbos Kodesh, how we welcome you. Estee loves to polish all the silver. She makes sure to do it all just right. When she's done, the candles sparkle brightly. That brings in a special Shabbos To make fresh talus, her Bobby's recipe is just the best. She makes them happily lacombo Shabbos, then she serves them to her Shabbos guests. Show. 
JM in the AM. We love Shabbos. You know who that is, the one and only Uncle Maishi, of course. It's a JM in the AM Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, and they rose Chodesh morning. Yehuda Solomon had Vishamru. You heard Chalshelas with Fachad Odi. Eitan Katz had Bowie Vishalom Friday morning on this 31st of January, 30th of Shvat, and it is already Rosh Chodesh Adar 1. Erev Shabbos, Parsha's Truma with candlelighting at 452. I want to thank the uh, people who gave us a couple of uh, Super Bowl tickets. They are in the 300 level. If anybody out there wants to make a what, excuse me, a wonderful donation to Jam in the AM and go to the game, uh, the people who've given us the tickets would like to see at least a bid of five thousand dollars for the uh, pair of tickets. Uh, that'll get you an amazing and incredible charitable deed of supporting JM and the AM, and we'll get you two tickets to the 300 level in MetLife Stadium for Sunday. So if you are capable of doing that and would like to, email me ASAP. Let me know that you'd, uh, you'd like to give that type of donation to uh, JM and the AM and uh, receive a pair of Super Bowl tickets for this Sunday. And uh, the highest bidder, obviously, uh, will secure those uh, uh, before the game on Sunday. So uh, the email address, nachum at wfmu.org, nachum na. C-H-U-M at W-F-M-U dot O-R-G. And again, if you are interested, let us know ASAP. It's a, a great opportunity to help us out financially at JM and the AM. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Galate Sal in the background. <laughs> they still play that song in the back of commercials in Israel. That's funny. Uh, Gali Tzal in the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up. Lenny Solomon, the king of schlock, is going to join us. He's the star of our kosher halftime show, of course. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Ellie Hagler is in Miami. Why? We'll explain. He'll call in a little later. And speaking of Miami, Dr. Laz is now again scheduled to call in for Miami later. He has what I think is the best Jewish Super Bowl story ever. We'll talk about that coming up. Galei Tzal, Israel Army Radio News Net. השיחות בין איראן לבין שש המעצמות על הסכם קבע יחודשו ככל הנראה בעוד כשבועיים וחצי. כתבתנו שרון פולבר. סוכנות הידיעות הרוסית אינטרפקס דיווחה כי השיחות התחדשו בניו יורק ב-18 בחודש, שש המעצמות ובהן ארצות הברית ורוסיה ימשיכו לנסות ולשכנע את איראן לרסן את החלקים של תוכנית הגרעין שלה בתמורה להקלה בסנקציות. הסכם הביניים בין טהרן והמעצמות נחתם בסוף חודש נובמבר לאחר שלושה סבבים של שיחות בז'נבה. פרשת אמנדה נוקס, המכונה הרוצחת בעלת פני המלאך, בן זוגה של נוקס, השותף למעשה הרצח, נעצר בשעות האחרונות במהלך ניסיון בריחה מאיטליה בעקבות הרשעתם המחודשת. כתבתנו תמר ירושלמי. רפאל סוליסטו נתפס על ידי השלטונות של איטליה בגבול עם אוסטריה. בית המשפט בפירנצה קבע במשפט חוזר כי הוא ונוקס הם האחראים לרציחתה של הסטודנטית הבריטית מרדית קרצ'ר, וזאת כשלוש שנים אחרי שזוכו. נוקס השוהה בארצות הברית מאז הזיכוי אמורה לרצות 28 שנות מאסר. היא לא התייצבה למשפט באיטליה, ולא ברור האם ארצות הברית תסכים להסגיר אותה. במסחר במטבע חוץ, הדולר עלה היום בכשתי עשיריות האחוז לשלושה שקלים, ארבעים ותשע אגורות ושמונה עשיריות האגורה. האירו לעומת זאת נחלש בשתי עשיריות האחוז ושערו היציג נקבע על ארבעה שקלים, שבעים ושלוש אגורות ושמונה עשיריות האגורה. מסרה כתבתנו יונה לימזון.
מזג האוויר לסוף השבוע, עלייה נוספת בטמפרטורות שיהיו מחר גבוהות מהרגיל לעונה. אלה מועדי כניסת השבת, פרשת תרומה. בירושלים תיכנס השבת בשעה 4:37 דקות, תל אביב 4:51, חיפה 4:41, ובבאר שבע תיכנס השבת ב-4:55 דקות. זמני צאת השבת בירושלים ובחיפה מחר ב-5:51 דקות, תל אביב 5:53, בבאר שבע תצא השבת דקה מאוחר יותר, 5:54 דקות. שבת שלום לכולם. אלה החדשות שערך עידו דוד כהן, בצוות טל שינדל ורן לויה. J.M. in the A.M. That's the king of Schlock himself with Vishamru off of a CD entitled A Shabbat in Liverpool. And I believe the king of Schlock himself is with us live via telephone. We're talking about Lenny Solomon on this Erev Shabbos Rosh Chodesh morning here at J.M. in the A.M. King, are you there? I am here. A couple of things I must share with you. First of all, <laughs> the the world... The world cannot wait to see the kosher halftime show this coming Sunday. You know that, right? It's unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. I'm, I'm blown away. The kosher halftime show stars Lenny Solomon and Schlockrock. We should mention, by the way, that uh, you'll be playing Sunday with um, Jonathan Rimberg of Rummy Weisberger, um, Ari Boyanju. Ari Boyanju. Ari Boyanju on guitar, who is absolutely I mean, they're all amazing, but... Uh, you know, you know what we feel. You know what we feel about guitar solos. So he's incredible, and, uh, and Ethan, Ethan Bill on drums. Ethan Bill on drums, and it's uh, going to be an amazing group. The uh, Super Bowl halftime show will feature some uh, commercial spots as well. After all, Lenny, what would the uh, Super Bowl uh, halftime show be without commercials? You know what I mean? That's the most important part. Commercials. And, and there's a football player in one of the spots. The spot for Empire Kosher has a football player. Someone dressed up as a football player. I'm asking a trivia question. Who is that football player? And I oh, the truth is, I think we reveal it at the end. I think it's at the, um, I think it's in the credits. So I think it'll be at the end anyway. Uh, but that's number one. And number two, Nefesh Benefesh has a very heartwarming spot that people will see in the middle of the uh, uh, concert performance on Sunday. And I think you will. Uh, well, we know what you think of Aliyah, so you'll love it. Trust me. 
I can't wait. It's, it's going to be amazing. So there you go. Don't forget, folks, it's very simple. Halftime arrives. You go to NahumSiegel.com and click on what you see on the front page, on the home page, and you'll enjoy the kosher Super Bowl halftime show with us. By the way, I don't know if you heard the conversation I had with Yona Lloyd, one of your uh, former bandmates. You remember the days when you used to play with Yona? Yeah, I did, and I actually listened to the entire 16-minute interview. Nice. I, I loved it. Yeah, he's now, of course, with SodaStream, and they are in the headlines everywhere. And um, and I said to him, I don't know if you heard this. Well, I, obviously you did because you heard the end of the conversation. Uh, <laughs> I said to him, the next time we get around to a Schlockrock doing the halftime show, uh, maybe he'll join in because he didn't get the opportunity to do it this time. And I, I don't know if you heard me say this. I said to him, we have the perfect sponsor for it. <laughs> Yeah, so, I did, and I think you are the perfect sponsor. And by the way, Lenny, I'll, I'll say this right now. If SodaStream does ever sponsor our Super Bowl halftime show, we will not censor them. They'll be able to do whatever they want, and they'll be able to mention any competitor they want. How do you like that? Right. <laughs> I think that's a very, very fair statement. I am making that a public statement, and they should take advantage of that. Hey, by the way, one of our listeners yesterday gave us a pair of Super Bowl tickets. Wow. Anybody out there who wants, they're in the 300 level, all he wants is a massive donation to JM and the AM. So anybody who starts the bidding at $5,000 to JM and the AM not only will be supporting us with a nice contribution, but they'll have a pair of tickets in the 300 level for this coming Sunday. Anybody who's interested, you get in touch with us immediately. Nahum at WFMU.org. Nahum, N-A-C-H-U-M at WFMU.org. And I hope someone does respond. Oh, more than one person responds. And we make it a bidding war. But just in case we get only one, uh, I hope at least that one person comes through. So if you can do that, folks, we want to, again, start the bidding at five grand for JM and the AM. And you get the unbelievable privilege of being in the stadium this coming Sunday for the big Super Bowl when Seattle takes on Denver. By the way, don't you find it funny that the whole world said Denver would win and now all of a sudden at the end of the week everyone says Seattle's going to win? I know. I'm listening to that, and I really don't understand it. You know, I, I actually think it's, it's going to be Denver big. But, oh, I don't you know, know. Especially with the weather report, which is that it's supposed to be nice. Yeah. Uh, like in, in 30s and 40s. I, I, that's what I heard. At the end of all that, it's supposed to be good weather. By the way... Uh, obviously, we have completed the uh, Lenny Solomon and Schlock Rock set list for Sunday. Uh, this is something that you and I worked on uh, in collaboration, correct? Correct. I may, I may, you, you, know, you know we went back and forth. I mean, you and I really had a very serious back and forth. I mean, Miriam Wallach uh, had input. Obviously, all the musicians had input. A lot of people had input. And we were all going back and forth on this whole issue for quite a while. Uh, I think that... Um, you were right about certain things, obviously, but I think I may have been wrong about something. I think I may have been wrong based on the way people are speaking over the last two weeks and based on my re-examination of the amazing Schlock Rock catalog. You ready for this admission, Lenny Solomon? Yes, go ahead. It is possible that in the five songs that we're doing on Sunday, it is possible that we should have included We've Got a Strong Desire. Because well, you know, not only is it a great rock and roll tune, but it, it, the, you know what it is about you. The, the lyrics are so remarkable. Could you imagine with all the people that are going to be watching this thing Sunday and then forever, if, if people would just become familiar with a small percentage of the historical notes that you make during that selection? 
you know, um, it's so debatable, but, you know, there are 467 songs, as you know, Nachum, and it, 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 to narrow it down to five. I know, but... it's got to be. I know, It's got to be the right five for the... For the the show, you right, know? but you know that there's basically seven schlock rock songs that you have to do if you're doing a performance like this. I'm saying one of those seven is we've got a strong desire, and that you know, we, then you and I have to debate whether it should be in the top five or not. Like, you know what I'm Correct. saying? Like, you know, the, you know that there's basically seven, eight, maybe nine schlock rock songs that can even be considered for a show of this magnitude. So. So right. you know, you, then you have True. to go, then you have to go and to choose the five. By the way, I mentioned this yesterday because we had the sports rabbi on uh, during my live lunch yesterday when you were playing some. Where were you in Yerushalayim? You were playing a real gig, meaning a wedding oh, of our yeah. mitzvah. I you were... actually played a 90th birthday party last oh, night. Nice. The first time I've ever done a 90th birthday party, and um, he's a really great man. He's actually in radio on Arut Sheva, so I saw all the Arut Sheva radio people. His name is Walter Bingham. You know, he turned uh, 90 years old. Oh, I know Walter. His favorite band is Schlock Rock. There you go. Holy cow. Believe it or not, his favorite song is We've Got a Strong Desire. Oh, is that, so you had no choice on that one, huh? But you know what else? He, he made, I finished the show with To Unite All Jews. He nice. loves To Unite All Jews. That is a great song. That is a great so song. We, we really, uh, and then, of course, he wanted the Liverpool stuff. He's actually British, and he, he loved the, the, the Beatles Shabbat stuff. So we did a bunch of that, and uh, that was a, that's where I was. It was a great, you know, great party. Yeah, there you go. Well, it was a real gig, all right, as I, uh, <laughs> not quite sure what I meant by that term, but I was curious if it was a concert. <laughs> well, it could have been a fake well I was curious, I was curious if it was a, along the concert lines or along the, uh, you know, a private party lines. 13 after the hour, the King of Schlock is with us live via telephone. You'll see the whole thing Sunday, folks. Make sure to click on NahumSiegel.com. We'll do last minute information with Matis on Sunday morning at about 8.30. I believe that, uh, that should be a, uh, that'll be the time. I have to just confirm that with Matis. We'll uh, do that on JM Sunday. Make sure to be tuned into JM Sunday, Lenny. You never know what last-minute stuff you'll learn from us uh, just by tuning into our stream at jmnam.org. And, and uh, again, anybody out there wants those Super Bowl tickets, get ready for a hefty donation to JM in the AM. Uh, email me, nachum at wfmu.org, N-A-C-H-U-M at wfmu.org. By the way, we actually saw the Broncos bus go by uh, WFMU yesterday morning. Really? Yeah, you know they're staying right here. The Broncos are across the street, and the uh, and the Seahawks are right down Green Street, like about uh, I don't know two tenths of a mile from here. So um, wow, did they? Maybe they wanted a tour. Yeah, you think they, they wanted? You think they wanted a JMM tour? It looked like they were in a rush because the bus was surrounded by two cop cars with sirens going. So it, it looked like probably going to the, to the uh, Radio Row in Manhattan with the M&M world. Thing, no, I, you know. I think they were going to practice. Frankly, it was yesterday. It was Wednesday. Yeah, already. I mean, yesterday it was practice. Thursday already. So they were heading to practice. I would assume. Uh, but they looked like they were in quite a rush with no time to stop by the JMM headquarters. <laughs> but anyway, you want to hear something funny, by the way, about about Super Bowl security? There's somebody in this building who always goes to the restaurant that's inside the Broncos Hotel. And he wanted to go there Tuesday night just to, you know, just to have dinner like he does like once a week. And they would only allow people into the restaurant that were guests of the hotel. It was the only time that the restaurant of the hotel was shut out to anybody walking on off the street. What do you think of that, Lenny Solomon? Wow. Yeah. It's, 
it's unbelievable. We're we're under lockdown here in Jersey City. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like that when you know when I come to the studio. If you, if you <laughs> That's right. It's basically the same type of scene between paparazzi and fans when the King of Schlock shows up on Montgomery Street. A very similar scene to where the Broncos and Seahawks are roaming around Jersey City. <laughs> Ah, there you have it. All right, uh, Letty, we look forward to Sunday, King. Uh, have a happy Rosh, you know, it's Rosh Chodesh Adar, so uh, we gotta be very yes. happy. Gotta be upbeat and, uh, and tell everybody to keep, uh, keep, what do you always say? Keep the Jewish pride, keep on schlocking and all that? So be good, be cool, be Jewish. There you go. Keep on there you go. Hey, I'm gonna pull a Shabbos selection out of the Schlockrock catalog that's gonna shock you right now. You ready? Go ahead. Oh, and let me mention, as I did yesterday when the sports rabbi was on, let me mention that, um, I think I mentioned it while he was on. Let me mention that over, what did you say, over 460 tracks, over 460 downloads of Schlock Rock selections are available right. to, to anybody right. on this globe for 100 bucks. And it's one of the best musical investment you'll ever make. Every single song that Lenny Solomon has ever released is yours for 100 bucks. What do they do? They go to schlockrock.com? That's it. That's all they got to do. And then one click and you're there, and it's 21 cents a song. And I actually believe that we should be raising our kids with Schlockrock. I, I believe that that's the music they should be listening to, to give them a great foundation of, of, of Jewish, you know, pride and value and education and continuity and all that stuff. There you go. That's the king himself speaking. All right, Len, have a great Shabbos, and thank you. You too, and thank you. We're pulling this Shabbos selection out of the historical Schlockrock catalog. Here it is at JM in the AM.
J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, the king of schlock, Lenny Solomon. Getting ready for the kosher halftime show. That's Sabbath, excuse me, that's Sabbath story. Remember that one from Greatest Hits? Um, Boy, that goes back a while. We pulled that out of the Shabbos catalog of schlock rock here at J.M. in the A.M. Erev Shabbos, Parshas, Trumats, Rosh Chodesh morning. Happy Rosh Chodesh, everybody. The month of Adar is here. We've got to get our comedy segments dusted off and start including them as part of the show here at JM in the AM. Ellie Hagler is with us live via telephone. He's in Florida, and he's going to tell us why. And frankly, I uh, I wish I was with him for a variety of reasons, not just because of the weather. Ellie Hagler, the, um, I want to get this right, associate director? That's right. Associate Director Yachad with us live via telephone. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Yachad. How are you? Everything is wonderful. Um, I was thinking earlier this morning about the fact that you're coming on from Miami today, and all of a sudden I uh, I went back. I went back in my mind, in my memory, to that amazing day one year ago when we were there to broadcast live from the Miami Marathon and had that Amazing weekend with the Yachad group. It was really a lot of fun. Why did the Miami Marathon do this this week, that this year rather, that the uh, marathon is on Super Bowl Sunday and way after Yeshiva break? Oh, well, it was actually an oversight on their part. They didn't actually book the date uh, far enough for the event, and someone else had a date for the Miami Beach Convention Center, which they need to do the registration for the 20,000 runners that are coming down here this weekend. Are, are you serious? They really would rather have it earlier? Uh, yeah, ideally the week before during Yeshiva winter break is when they want it. I don't, I doubt it's because of Yeshiva winter break, but the last day in January is when they want the race every year. So, uh, I mean, is it possible that next year it's going to be back on the schedule that the Jewish community likes? Correct. Next year it will be on uh, the last Sunday of Yeshiva winter break. Oh, very cool. 
Well, we loved it when you brought us down last time. It would be amazing if we went back again. And by it the way, would be amazing. And by the way, it's not just the weather. In all seriousness, it's not just the weather. And you know what I think of warm weather compared to what we have up here. But it really was a wonderful Shabbos of great camaraderie, incredible families. The Achad members are fantastic. I think there's a, a certain spirit. I don't, I don't even know how large your group is this year. You could tell us. But there's a certain spirit as everybody is getting to, and I wasn't one of the runners, obviously. But as you're in a room and in a hotel where everybody's getting ready for the big challenge on Sunday, you, you sort of feel the whole thing. It's a different type of atmosphere, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I'll tell you, this year, one more runner than we did last year. This year we have 186 runners, which we never, ever would have imagined because of the date change. We thought that because it was after Yeshiva break, all, everybody who is just coming back from vacation is not going to be able to get away for another weekend four or five days later. But, you know, thank God we, they did. They are. We have 186 here. We were actually uh, close to 270 people from Cobbett. Um, and, and just the nature of the event when you're getting ready to run a half marathon or the full marathon for four of our runners who are a little more crazy than the rest of them. Uh, it's it just the natural atmosphere and excitement is building and building and building, getting ready uh, for 6 a.m. Sunday morning. Yeah, we're having a lot of trouble hearing you, but uh, we'll continue to try our best. Ellie Hagler, Associate Director of Yachad, he's down at the Miami Marathon. And i got to commend you, by the way. I can only imagine how many people suggested to you not to hold the event because they figured nobody would go down, and you end up with more runners supporting Yachad than last year. Uh, can you hear me now? Is this better? It's a drop better. Go ahead. All right. It happens to be I'm just you know looking at over the ocean when it's 65 degrees here. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, we actually looked into doing a different race uh, the week before. We found a race in uh, Austin, Texas. We found another one in Omaha, Nebraska. There's just nothing coming down to Miami for the Miami Marathon in February. You know, this year, because the Super Bowl, of course, when the Super Bowl is in New York, we try to take as many people out of New York as we could. Right. Good point. <laughs> um, and we're actually having a Team Yaka Super Bowl party in our hotel after the race. And uh, I hope you'll be able to tune into the uh, Kosher Halftime Show as well. That the Absolutely, Len- sure will. The OU, and obviously Yachad's part of the OU, everybody. The OU has been amazingly supportive of us during this uh, kosher halftime show uh, uh, stunt, or whatever you want to call it, that we uh, started to pull a couple of weeks ago. Uh, JM in the AM with Ellie Hagler with his via telephone. How do people support Yacha? I, I assume, obviously, it's never too late to support Yacha, but can they support a runner at this point? Oh, absolutely. It's never, never too late. We actually work out with our runners that we give them until the end of February to raise the money uh, that they commit to raising. We, we find that sometimes people can be more passionate about what they're asking people for after they've done it. They can tell them how amazing it was, how great of an experience it was, and maybe that can give the donor a little more incentive to give a little more to as much as they're able to give. Nice. All right. So people can do that. What do they do? Yachad.org? Uh, either on Yachad.org or TeamYachad.com. You can find a specific runner. You can find somebody from your community. Any way you want to do it, there's 186 of us who would love to get another donation. I can imagine. I can't believe the team is that large. TeamYachad.com gets you all the information, everybody. TeamYachad.com. It really is an amazing and incredible uh, uh, race. I did not race. I did not run. But the spirit that you feel just being part of the group and then watching them all, you should listen to the archive of that show as they were coming to the finish line. It really is a remarkable and uh, an incredible accomplishment. Uh, so- you know, Malcolm, I'll tell you, there are two reasons that we get from people for why 
they don't run the half marathon with us. Number one is either I can't run a half marathon. That's crazy. It's too far. I'll never be able to do it. Right. And the second reason is I don't think I'd be able to raise the money. I wouldn't be able to do it. it, it it's not my thing. And, I mean, you can speak to any of our runners who would tell you that none of them are runners and none of them are fundraisers. But if you try and you, and you work at it, you can. You know, we hire a team of professional running coaches who put together training schedules for each individual runner based on their current fitness level, whether it's nothing or I'm at the gym every day. And they put together a plan that will help them build up uh, to being able to complete either a half or a full marathon. Phenomenal, really phenomenal. And you're right. You know, you encourage them. You provide the infrastructure for them to get it done, both in the fundraising level and in the training level, if they want it, in terms of running. And uh, you handle it really professionally. And I guess that's the reason why, even with the calendar not being as friendly, you have a larger group than last year. Kolakavod. Absolutely. You know, we we were nervous this year. Aside from the numbers, uh, I mean, obviously the main goal of this weekend is is a fundraiser. This is one of Yachad's largest fundraisers of the year. Uh, and we were very nervous that because of the added time that people were going to be here, adding on Sunday night and the Super Bowl expenses, that it might make it not as beneficial to Yaha to do it. So what we did this year was actually we worked really hard. I did it myself together with Dr. Lookman and with Ken Sable, trying to work on getting uh, as many things sponsored and or donated as we could. So I just wanted to mention uh, the sponsors, if I can. Yeah, please. Um, both June and David Aboxis, who own Junie's, uh, the women's clothing store, not only do they sign on as a corporate sponsor, but they're coming down, and actually it came down last night, with 17 members of their staff who all raised the money, who are all running the race. Wow. So really, really cool. I'll go vote to them. And also just uh, Outer Stuff Limited, who also donated all of the running shirts. Clip Keepers, who has given a gamble cut to every, run- every male runner and a hair clip to every female runner. Meridian Capital, the Jewish Press, Cadet Marketing, it just goes on and on, the amazing support uh, that we've been getting from around the community. Unbelievable. Everybody wants part of it because you're a great success. Hey, you know that we have uh, we, we, we have some really uh, great Yachad members down there who we know. Send our best to them and to everybody, of course, in the entire group. And good luck on Sunday. And, uh, you know, as you're recovering with the uh, with the hamstring pulls and everything else that everybody's going to get, I'm just kidding around, of course. But, but with, as you're recovering with all the sore muscles on Sunday night, enjoy the game and enjoy the concert. Thanks so much, for Ellie, and uh, have a wonderful Shabbos down there with Team Yachad. You got it, Malcolm. Thanks so much. Ellie Hagler down in Miami. We loved it last year. And he's loving it again this year with an amazing group and, and a group even larger. Could you imagine than last year during Yeshiva break. 7.30 in the morning, Friday, Erev Shabbos. Weekly update is coming up. Don't forget, if you'd like to make a hefty donation to JM and the AM, we have a listener who has given us two Super Bowl tickets in the 300 level. Anybody who uh, starts the bidding at $5,000 will be uh, eligible, the highest bidder, obviously, uh, will be uh, receiving those tickets, a pair of tickets on the 300 level for Sunday. And in addition to that, you'll be supporting our amazing work here at JM in the AM. Anybody who's interested, if you could do that, if you could support us and you want to go to the game, email me immediately, nachum at wfmu.org, nachum, N-A-C-H-U-M, at wfmu.org. Ya mama ya mama 
J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning with uh, Accept Saturday and L'Chad Uh Before that, you heard the uh, Shamayim selection from Hallel in honor of Rosh Chodesh. It's called Pitchuli. Benny Friedman had Benei Hechalo off the brand new uh, Shabbos with Benny Friedman CD. Benny Friedman is in concert tomorrow night. Benny Friedman and Simcha Liner. Uh, this is the kosher uh, entertainment provided for those who are in from out of town for the Super Bowl. Benny Friedman and Simcha Liner playing for the Young Israel of Manhattan tomorrow night at Seward Park High School, Lower Manhattan on the Lower East Side. Sorry about that. Uh, so they'll be together tomorrow night, Young Israel of Manhattan concert. Check it out. By the way, another event that I noticed... Uh, for tomorrow night, for those who are in from out of town, who don't get an opportunity to see a uh, to see something like this all the time, the Yeshiva College Maccabees have a game tomorrow night, 8.30, up at the Max Stern Athletic Center at Yeshiva University. It's a great family-friendly environment. And uh, they're always fun, those games. So you can check that out uh, tomorrow as well. Uh, that starts at 8.30 as well, I believe especially if you're from Denver or Seattle. Enjoy all the uh, entertainment this weekend. Speaking of entertainment, don't forget the uh, Kosher Super Bowl halftime show. All you got to do is go to NahumSiegel.com during halftime and just click. You'll see it on the homepage. That's it. Lenny Solomon and Schlockrock. Some funny Super Bowl commercials that were created. Not funny. Well, some are funny and some are not. And a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, don't forget our offer still stands. A generous listener has given us two tickets to the Super Bowl in the 300 level of MetLife Stadium. The only thing he wants in exchange is a massive donation to JM and the AMs. So anybody out there wants to start our bidding at $5,000 and give us a great donation to keep us going here at JM and the AM. And in addition to that, enjoy the game. Uh, no problem. Just email me immediately. Nahum at WFMU.org. That's Nahum, N-A-C-H-U-M, at WFMU.org. I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com who continue to highly recommend our amazing live stream. Oh, by the way, the Super Bowl halftime show will be on the stream as well. If you want to just have the audio, it'll be on the stream as well at jmnam.org. Uh, thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com who continue to enthusiastically recommend our incredible live stream to its readers. I thank them, wish them a wonderful Shabbos and a great Rosh Chodesh. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the Weekly update here on a Friday morning. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning. Um, you were there Monday. You were there Monday at this historic event at Auschwitz with uh, the majority of the Knesset, which is still hard to believe uh, that so many members went, uh, with a, a, a distinguished group of survivors, of course. Um, uh, very interesting speakers, you among them. Uh, give us your impressions. What it was like being there Monday for this type of event? Uh, well, it was cold, uh, uh, but I think uh, heartening in, in a number of respects. One, uh, I think going to Auschwitz is always important as a reminder of our responsibility today, of the failures of the past, that the point of looking back, and I made these remarks uh, in my speech to the group, is not to dwell on the Tsaris, but to spare future generations the same trials and tribulations that our obligation of looking back is in order to look forward. 
And going there is not to get lost in history, but to learn the lessons. And this is what we learn in the Chumash, we learn in, in Sefer Bereshis especially, but all, all throughout, all of our Chagim, everything is meant to be experiential, to learn the lessons and experience it. And being there and reliving it and thinking as we stood in the cold, bitter cold weather, that people were there without shoes, without clothing, with, and, and, and survived. It's, it's unbelievable to think of the power of, of the human beings who did so, and at the same time to remember what took place there and how the world was silent. And we learn more and more of the facts even now. As the Times reported, 42,000 camps existed, uh, work camps, installations of various kinds. So for people to have claimed then that they didn't know when these places were in every part of, of, the, of Europe, where the Nazis occupied, uh, the the message is so important. But I also saw something that was terrifically inspiring, and that was on the plane, uh, where there were two planes, with, as you said, the majority of uh, half the members of the of the um, of the Knesset, but also half a dozen ministers and many other officials and former members of Knesset, and they got along so well. Huh. camaraderie between Haredim and Meretz, between people of every party that we always see pictured as killing each other and fighting each other and expressing their differences. In the morning on the flight, it was too early to daven when it took off. So on the plane, every, the people who, who would do so davened. And it was amazing to see the respect shown to them I mean, I put on Tolleson's film and people dobbing in their seats, but they had somebody who got up to say, to say Kedusha and the Kaddish and other things. And everybody, the people who are deemed so secular and anti-religious, treated it with great respect. And the people who were dominating did it with such dignity and, and care and concern about how it would impact others. And throughout the day, you saw the camaraderie, the way people... He felt about one another, and they told me, you know, when we get on the floor of the Knesset, it's one thing, but off the floor, we are friends. Mm-hmm. And you see, all of a sudden, they were united by the experience in in Auschwitz to remind of our common history. And it's it's very important that we, you know, put aside for one day at least the differences and focus on what we have in common because of our obligation to future generations will only be met by acting together and in concert instead of wasting all our energies on fighting one another. I think that's a human trait in general. The further away you are from the area of contention, the more likely it is that you'll get along, you know? That's true. And it, I mean, it works that way across the board, not just in the Jewish world, but you're making such an important point. Uh, I, was, uh, I was reading about it, and uh, I, I think I read correctly. You can tell me if I'm right or wrong. Was there an Arab MK at the event? Tell me about him. I mean, one and the, the and expressed regret that others didn't uh, didn't join. He said he made an effort to get others to join, um, but there were people of of every walk of life. And by the way, there were thirty European parliamentarians who came, as well as a delegation led by Eric Cantor, and included uh, Carolyn Maloney from New York and Daryl Issa from California, were in attendance representing the Congress of the United States. And uh, obviously there were people of 
every ethnicity uh, participating and, and religious leaders from every group uh, imaginable who were, were visible uh, during the program as well. Uh, and Chazan Adler of the Great Synagogue in Jerusalem uh, said the Tfilot and the Kiamole, and there were many others uh, who participated in the course of the day. There were, were a number of, uh, of events, including uh, one session just of parliamentarians. Each one was allowed one minute, though no, nobody adhered to the one minute, <laughs> but <laughs> Israelis and, and the Europeans alike, and they alternated each one being able to... To, to say something, and some of the statements were really quite remarkable. Others were remarkable by what they didn't say, many of them by what they did. And, you know, coming in the midst of a week when we saw so many instances of BDS, of the Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions movement coming to the fore, it, you know, it reminds us that, that, that the uh, um, declaring the Connell, this neo-Nazi-like salute, uh, and this year, the year of the Connell, the... the um, uh, Boycotting by Danish firms, by other firms, uh, Dutch firm uh, of Israel. The, of course, the big controversy around SodaStream. That we're seeing again what happened 70 years ago, and I'm not drawing an analogy because there is one big difference, and that's the state of Israel. But the state of Israel now is the target as the collective Jew. But the same themes, the same anti-Semitic uh, core is visible in this, and, and it's becoming so widespread, the, the practice of, of BDS, that a demonstration can take care take place in France of thousands of people screaming, marching in the streets, that that the, the Jews do not belong in France. I mean, it's, it, it, it's too strong a message not to be able, not to be seen, and that people shouldn't take note and understand what is our obligation in the face of this. And I told the, especially to the Europeans, I said, you know what, I'm tired of memorials to dead Jews. It's time that the world stood up for living Jews and for a living and vibrant Jewish state. We have enough memorials already. I don't want any more tears shed for us. I want them to stand up for us as human beings, as living human beings, and the, the, uh, re- seeing the resurrection of so many themes that we thought were dead, that were relegated to the past, that the rise of all these extremist parties, the unwillingness of so many to face up to them and to, to, to state clearly what they are, who they are, uh, uh, and to condemn them, is disheartening just as the cases where people did and what uh, uh, Scarlett Johansson did is encouraging and uh, reaffirming. Well said. Um... I, you know that I've uh, never been there, although you encouraged me to uh, to pay a visit. And this may sound like a crazy question, but I'm so curious. Is Auschwitz and the memorial and the, the area there any different than the first time you were there? I mean, does the memorial grow? Are things added? Or essentially, it's the same as the first time you ever stepped foot there? It's more or less the same. There's been some work to restore, but... Uh uh, other than the restoration, nothing no doesn't change. Uh, but to be honest, that the displays are at Auschwitz and they are overwhelming and moving. But the starkness of Birkenau and this vast area, and where the crematorium, you see remnants uh, of it. You see the the place where the selection was made as you walk in. 
and you see the vastness of the of these uh, endless bunkers of uh, 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 barracks the the i think is is even more stark than than auschwitz uh, they are you know with a walking distance of one another and it's, it's a cold long walk but a, a time for contemplation and consideration of what what people went through what what it was like there what happened there it's beyond human imagination to to be able to understand or comprehend today fully what what the what went on there. How but eerie! That's why it's so important. How eerie is it walking by the selection area? That must be just. It's awful, but to stand by the crematory, there's one that was imploded. That most were destroyed, but this one was remembered. And and we remember, you know, there were courageous people who risked their lives and often even gave their lives to save Jews just as the overwhelming indifference and perpetrators uh, have to be remembered. Right. And we have to remember the living communities that were there, what their lives were like, and the message. And I, I said that you can hear it from the cold ovens and from these blood-soaked fields and the barren barracks, that the voices call out and say, don't forget, learn the lessons, don't be complacent, stand up, speak up. Because that's the lesson of history. You can't appease it. You can't compromise with it. You can't wish it away. You have to confront it. And when we see it, whether it's in our own country, like the American Studies Association, or now this boycott on, on Soda Stream, and so many things, and with it, with the number of NGOs, non-governmental organizations, that are behind this movement, that, that is uh, led by the Palestinian Authority uh, figures. And and the the money coming from European governments to fund these activities, that we have to t- to understand what is our responsibility. If you can't just turn another cheek, I said we've run out of che- cheeks to turn. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, and finally, I, I excuse my fascination with this, but the Arab MK does he go back home to great criticism or not? Uh, he was criticized, uh, and and the fact that he couldn't inspire anybody else to go was uh, was of course noteworthy too. Right, understood. But and in, in other words, it's a sac- it's a political sacrifice for him. It's not easy for someone like that to go and make a move like this. No, it isn't easy, and right. it's not easy for uh, some who teach in Muslim countries. You know that people came to come to Yad Vashem to train from China, from other countries, but also from Muslim countries trained to become teachers of the Holocaust and, and, and go back to their home countries and, and speak about it and, and try to educate the next generation, even if it's only part of it or some more part of it. Right. Pretty amazing. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmnan.org. Tomorrow night, Avrami with Saturday Night Seagull beginning at 10 o'clock on our stream. Sunday morning, Matis has JM Sunday between 7 and 9. I'll be on in the 8 o'clock hour and give everyone last-minute details regarding our kosher halftime show that everyone seems to be talking about. All right, speaking at a halftime show, we uh, spoke to Yona Lloyd yesterday from SodaStream. You mentioned, of course, the uh, BDS movement, the Oxfam and Scarlett Johansson. Essentially, Oxfam said to Scarlett Johansson, choose us or choose Israel, right? That's essentially what it came down to. Absolutely. And, and she chose and, Israel. And she said that, that I choose Israel. And if you look at some of the interviews with her, uh, people do not know that she is Jewish. 
Yeah, her mother's a Jewish girl from the Bronx. <laughs> and uh, right, that, uh, every girl from the Bronx is known as Scarlet Johansson. <laughs> <laughs> I said her mother's a Jewish girl from the Bronx. <laughs> it's common. It's, uh, it's sort of. Uh, be um, be careful. The uh, all right. We'll talk about that later. Go ahead. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> I think that number one, I hope people will write her and thank her, and will let others know and those who joined the condemnation. SodaStream has factories all over the world. In this one factory is in Ma'ala Adumim, which is a suburb of Jerusalem, connected part of the Greater Jerusalem area, a city of thirty thousand people. And it is a factory where there, I think, there are a thousand employees. Half are Palestinian, meaning coming from the West Bank areas under the PA. Half are is, uh, is Israelis living in uh, in Ma'ala Adumim and other areas. The Arabs and the Jews get paid the same wages. They're treated well. Every interview with the people who work there praises the the care they get, the the way that they're treated, that there's no discrimination. Uh, they could close down the place in, in Maladumim, and Mr. Birenbaum, who's the head of it, recently said that he's not a supporter of settlements. He doesn't care about settlements, but he said this is a matter of principle now. I'm not going to let them dictate to us where we can put a factory. And the the idea that, that factories exist in dictatorships all over the world, that uh, slave labor is used, that you don't see any kind of protest of this magnitude and this kind against them. And even those in in disputed territories, in Cyprus, let's say, or other places around the world, it doesn't take place. And here, because she was uh, chosen as the spokeswoman, she became the target of of this heavy criticism and threats of boycott, etc., and she stood her ground. And and I think history will record it as it being a very important uh, moment in the in this campaign, uh, because too often people succumb to it. And and she's not the first, by the way, of Oxfam. Oxfam was was created as the Ox, uh, Oxford Committee Against the Poverty or, or uh, Famine, famine right. in the early 1940s, and it is has a long history of anti-Israel bias, a long history. This is not something that came out of the blue when, in, in regard to it. And, in fact, the French courts ruled this week against the boycotters and said that they had to pay SodaStream uh, for the damage done to their sales. Wow. Uh, you know, New York, the New York Senate, to their credit, passed uh, a, a, a law against uh, boycott. Right. And uh, the the um, there were other um, uh, efforts or legal efforts all over to try and counter the BDS movement in, in the same way that is it is expanding, and that Oxfam, which is supposed to be doing good, has lent itself to to this and said that it's inconsistent for her to be with SodaStream and at the same time uh, with Oxfam. They don't look into the record of all the others who who speak out and. Actors and actresses whose personal lives and whose activities certainly would be legitimate reason to, to uh, not to have them associated with a with a product right. or with with uh, any of these causes. Yet that doesn't bother them very much. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit of hypocrisy there, huh? And 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 on on the subject you you alluded to somewhat when we mentioned that uh, her name is Johansson, yet her mother's a Jewish girl from the Bronx. Um, I don't know, and, and again, this really may not be your area, so I don't, I don't anticipate a direct 
answer, but just a feeling that I could tell you many people have out there. If, in fact, the son of the Prime Minister of Israel is dating somebody of different background, let's put it that way, uh, you know, you know, let, let's assume we're all, you know, somewhat social libertarians in this and that we're not telling anybody what to do or not to do, although we'd love to have some influence religiously on, you know, on everybody. Uh, the bottom line is I just don't know if we're comfortable with the prime minister of Israel bringing it up or being proud of it or extolling it as, you know, as something positive. I, I think, again, not asking you to, to give him our piece of advice, but would you agree that the best thing may have just been if he would not have touched on the subject? Well, he denies having said it, and he, he said he did not say it to the thing, and he said that he's, that they're not dating. They only studied together because she's in, in university, in the same university where his, where his son is studying. So he has uh, uh, indicated, at least publicly, that uh, there, there is no chance uh, Mr. Derry came out very critical, and he responded that uh, that the reports were not accurate, and that uh, he's not dating this girl, this non-Jewish girl. Uh, so I, I think we have to ascertain the facts, uh, but it's always better when people are careful with what they say because you open a Pandora's box right. very hard to close. So now I'm going to have to call my friend among the Israeli paparazzi and find out if it's true or not because if anybody would know, they would know, wouldn't they, Malcolm? You can be sure that they're not going to be seen anywhere publicly together. <laughs> That's for sure at this point. What's with the dust-up between Naftali Bennett and Bibi? Even after the apology, I'm confused as to what really happened. Could you explain? Yes, it's very confusing. Because <laughs> he apologized. No, he didn't. And he um, said he was sorry. No, I didn't say I was sorry. I was sorry that he was offended. But and what was he apologizing I, for, supposedly? I, I didn't apologize. But if you want to interpret it as an apology, that's your business. And the Prime Minister says, look, I think it's an apology. I heard the word. It's good enough for me to, to back down. And, you know, they've come into it's a very interesting relationship. Because remember that Bennett worked for... right. Uh, BB is chief of staff, and uh, he is highly critical because BB appeared at one point last week to say uh, one thing, and then he said that uh, another thing about the settlements. One one instance that uh, everybody will remain in place; no Jew will be moved, and that he's not going to re- uh, remove Jews from their homes. And then seems to indicate well, they can live in Jewish communities under Palestinian authority. Right, and Bennett came out very strongly about it. Uh, later on, we had Martin Indyk uh, giving briefings reported in the press that 75 to 80 percent of the settlers will remain in their, their communities under the agreement given the land swaps, i.e. that those territories will be associated with Israel, while Israel will have to compensate the Palestinian Authority with similar uh, amounts of land. Uh, so the dust-up was reflective of a of a increasingly tense situation in the face of the reports that a framework agreement will be presented by Secretary Kerry to which both sides uh, can express their reservations and uh, both sides have already expressed reservations. The Palestinians saying, well, if the reports are true of what's in it, it's a non-starter and Netanyahu has expressed uh, concern about other parts of it. Uh, But on the other hand, there's ongoing consultations and part of the agreement, I think, is that the United States would put forward the proposals. There will be something that both for each one not to like, and then that would be the basis for the negotiations. But it covers 
according to reports on index uh, conversation, which I did participate in, but um, it was off the record, so I don't discuss except what, what I read in the paper. Right. And that is that it dealt with territory, refugees, and he, he said that the Jewish refugees, compensation for Jewish refugees as well, um, about uh, um, end of claims, which is a very important uh, part of thing, a recognition of a Jewish state and of a Palestinian state, uh, but the Jewish state of Israel, uh, uh, that these are the critical factors that will be, obviously, the security arrangements. And what the focus has been now is on the Jordan Valley, which looms ever larger, especially given events in Iraq and in Syria. You know, Israel, as was pointed out this week, has is totally surrounded by Islamist and jihadist group. As much as Israel's security situation has improved with the situation in Egypt, with Syria not being a threat right now, with Hezbollah not being a threat, but... There are 170,000 missiles aimed at Israel today, and the the presence of jihadi groups in Lebanon, obviously Hezbollah in Syria, with 100,000 more uh, of them, and Al Qaeda threatening to to come towards Israel next after they remove Assad, which they haven't done and doesn't look like they'll be able to do very soon, uh, and of course in Iraq and and uh, you have a million refugees, Syrian refugees. Jordan along the border of, uh, of Israel, so the um, you know the security situation is, is of great concern. And in that regard, the, the presence of Israeli troops and that became a big issue because it sounded like criticism and the Alom's criticism of the proposals that this could be done by technology with right. the unmanned flights and detectors and stuff. And they said the only way you can do it is by having a physical presence on the ground. Right. Uh, so going back to the uh, Bennett Netanyahu question is, first of all, before we even do that, with everything you just said, why was Indyk so positive about the direction of the peace talks? I mean, did he, did he feel he just had to give, you know, like a, a positive impression to everybody in terms of the future of the, uh, or the potential, rather, of the peace talks? Well, I don't think it was, it was as positive as it was descriptive uh, of what, of where it stands and, uh, then the reaction to the to the plan is what's going to be critical to see whether the future negotiations and it'll have to run past April, obviously, which is the deadline yeah. that had been set. Uh, as they work out all these details, I'm not sure that they can work out the details, and I'm and I think he's not sure and expressed it that they can do it. It, it depends on the will of the parties, but he felt he felt and their general assessment is that you're a unique moment now. Uh, Hamas is weakened in Gaza, and, and that, that is, by the way, a big question that Israel could say, look, until you're in control of Gaza, we can't negotiate because you're talking for half, uh, half the territory, and then we're still left with a, with a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you have an end of claims when, when you have uh, part of the party you're in, in negotiating with not under your control and still committed to violence and to, to rocketry? Against Israel, and I read somewhere this morning that as uh, as as weak as Hamas is, uh, the rockets from Gaza is one of the worst months ever recently, January, in terms of the uh, number that came raining down on Israel. It is true, and the uh, Iron Dome was extremely successful. Um, that, uh, uh, but but if you you see the situation there on the ground, Hamas may be weakened, but they are manufacturing their own rockets now inside the country. They don't have to import them. Uh, they have 10,000 rockets, and many of them can hit uh, Tel Aviv 
and even uh, as we saw in the last conflict with uh, Jerusalem. Right. Uh, so on Bennett Netanyahu, just politically, I saw that Bennett today would receive 17 seats, significant number, obviously. I mean, so none of this ever affect. I mean, at least in the last few months, none of this infighting with Bibi ever affects his numbers or his popularity in Israel. Uh, Bibi's popularity? No, Bennett's popularity. Bennett's, yes, because Bennett uh, is, is appealing to mainstream Israelis. Uh, he, he addresses uh, issues, and I think... Uh, it's often true in Israel that people say things to pollsters, but when it comes to, you know, they tell the truth to pollsters and they lie at the polls, that it doesn't always translate into the same numbers. Uh, I think Netanyahu is not unpopular. Uh, people are concerned. They, 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 they don't like a lot of these dust-ups and, and situations. And um, Bennett is a new face, and he's just he's really a novice in, in the political scene. But as opposed to Lapid, whose numbers have tanked, right? Uh, his numbers have gone up, right? Uh, by the way, you saw Elliot Abrams uh, has joined the uh, the voices to get the release of Jonathan Pollard. That is true, uh, as have others uh, who who were not previously uh, uh, vocal, and um, I hope it'll help. I don't know that any one name makes a difference, right. but maybe the collectivity of voices that have now spoken out will will change something. You know, Erdogan essentially has chosen, or let's put it this way, he had. It looked like he had the um, uh, the choice of heading toward the West or heading toward Iran. We mentioned this last week, and last week we said he looks like he's heading toward Iran. This week. It really looks like he's making a final decision and putting all his eggs in one basket as he continues uh, meeting with Iran and, and forming an even stronger relationship with them. Well, he, he wasn't in, in, in Tehran this week, and I think that he is playing around and in part turning to Tehran because his uh, effort to impose a policy, as you remember, you know, zero conflicts right. with his neighbors. Uh, he's in conflict with every neighbor, including Tehran, including Iran, but he, he's looking to them because his outreach to Egypt was rejected. Obviously, his relationship with Assad and with Syria has collapsed, and they reportedly even bombed this week uh, al-Qaeda operatives. The, they have thousands of terrorists based in in um, Turkey, and Israeli sources re- revealed that there are three bases in three different areas of Turkey who have then... Uh, easy access to Europe. These are al-Qaeda bases, training camps for people to fight in Syria, but they go in and out, and they have ready access to to uh, Europe. And this is an issue, as you know, I've raised for a long time, for two years now, that there's no attention or not enough attention being paid to the perhaps thousands who carry foreign passports, European and American passports included, large numbers, who will who are going to be free to go back now as trained killers and terrorists and we see the numbers of people who've been killed we see the devastation that whole areas have been flattened in Damascus in homes by the government and perhaps by by the rebels and the rebels continue to fight each other as as well as that they they fight uh, Assad uh, perhaps even more fighting uh, each other of late and the the developments in um, in Syria, with the uh, stalling, for instance, in getting rid of the chemical weapons, less than 5% of the chemical weapons have actually been turned over so, so far. There were 1,300 tons in two shipments that went to Latakia, but otherwise, 
they have not impo- implemented uh, uh, the agreement. And the, the stalling over this should be of great concern because it, it shows that the, that the West's threats are not today taken seriously enough to expedite the return. The, they will use the, the excuse of the fighting, but the fact is that when they want to move it, they can and the satellites that show now how large swaths of of, uh, of their capital and of other cities have been completely obliterated in in this uh, in this fighting. So it's you know it's really serious. The United States essentially has just remained um, middle of the road now with Turkey. Have they? Uh, have they? Is there a need for the U.S. to be stronger against them, or to express their disappointment with them, or to sever some ties with him? I mean, what, what's the what's, what would you say today is the status of the U.S.-Turkey relationship? I think it's cooler than it was for a while. As you know, he was the foreign leader that the president most often spoke to, Erdogan, uh, much to the consternation of, of some of the people in Europe. But he, uh, I think that that relationship is cool. They're, they're upset with what he's done, both internally and externally. Uh, but he, and, and he continues to, to play that role with the subjugation of his people because he wants to, to be elected as uh, president and with, uh, with much broader powers. And the people who will, who will object to it so we could see the continuation of some of the internal te- intentions and suppression in, uh, in Turkey, but they they don't seem to be held to account by uh, uh, by anybody. Were you at all disappointed that the uh, State of the Union address barely touched on foreign policy? No, this has happened in the past. You know, presidents have different uh, emphasis uh, to to their remarks, and this time it was on the domestic agenda, challenging Congress. Uh, he he made one strong statement uh, towards Israel a statement about the Palestinians, and uh, nothing no broke, obviously, no new ground in, in those comments. As we speak, American diplomacy is supporting Israelis and Palestinians. They engage in the difficult but necessary talks to end the conflict there to achieve dignity and an independent state for Palestinians and lasting peace and security for the state of Israel, a Jewish state that knows America will always be at their side. Here's the paragraph I want your reaction to. And it is American diplomacy backed by pressure that has halted the progress of Iran's nuclear program and rolled back parts of that program for the first time in a decade. As we gather here tonight, Iran has begun to eliminate its stockpile of higher levels of enriched uranium. Do the truth meter for us on this paragraph. Well, first on the first paragraph you read, I, I'm told, and it's hard to discern it when you're watching it, because I thought that there was strong applause to the very strong language he used to address the Congress not to have additional... Uh, sanctions against Iran and its threat to, to veto it, but I'm told, in fact, that was not the case, and that the strongest line, other than the his descriptions of the soldier at the end, uh, was that line about Israel getting a, uh, the strongest uh, that will always be at their side. Right? Applause. Right. Uh, now, in terms of uh, the claims. Yeah, so since you mentioned it, let me let me just finish it then. This is the second part of that. It's not installing advanced centrifuges. Unprecedented inspections help the world verify every day that Iran is not building a bomb. And with our allies and partners, we're engaged in negotiations to see if we can peacefully achieve a goal we all share, preventing Iran from obtaining a nuclear weapon. Okay, so the Israelis uh, have said this week that maybe they're set back six weeks. In fact, we see 
that the economy is improving, that the busting of the sanctions is, is happening, or undermining, I should say, even though the United States continue to impose. The estimates we heard from one expert this week was that they will cost not this uh, $7 billion benefit to Iran, but 20 to $40 billion in benefits, but much more is the psychological and the, the fact that you have companies flocking to, 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 to uh, Iran that they can ship because now the insurance, the restrictions on insurance, which is never discussed, but is very critical on the, the uh, shipping of, of uh, uh, oil, um, and then they can sell the petrochemicals and they can uh, also auto parts. The other things which really do make a huge difference, not just internally in Iran with employment and uh, the message that it sends, but externally uh, uh, as well. So when you look at the specifics, the fact is that you have 19,000 centrifuges, not one is removed. They can develop the R&D for the next generation of centrifuges, the work on ballistic missiles, on the weaponization. All of these things continue, and, and the highly enriched, the 20%, is not, is not all removed. And they have a huge stockpile of 3.5% with the new centrifuge and with other things. Once the, the restrictions are lifted, that can be quickly uh, energized. And the, the debate is whether it will take them a month, two right. months, or will take them six months. Right. That's the vast difference between uh, the assessments that people have today. So to describe it as if the, the program was dismantled, nothing is dismantled. And they said this week that they're not going to dismantle anything. I mean, they're, they're making clear statements about their intent and their reading of, of the agreement. And now that they know that there are no further sanctions coming... Well, that, that, well, why he would the say that publicly? Said they will. He just doesn't want to do it now because he thinks it'll be an excuse for them. And I think he is peeling away some members of Congress from this. Uh, I must say that Senator Schumer has been, uh, and Senator Menendez, uh, Senator Kirk, who have been leaders of it, have been very stalwart on it. And uh, Senator Reid actually is a strong supporter, but he's under tremendous pressure. So they're saying essentially let it go for six months. Um, the fact is that the legislation doesn't go into effect. Uh, for, for months anyway, so I think that it could be worked out. But uh, but the president making this confrontation rather than the confrontation with Iran, yep. the central focus, and yep. the you know members of Congress are not acting despite the administration are trying to reinforce it because it's the sanctions that got the Iranians to the table in the first place. All right, All right. I hate to do this with only a minute left, but uh, there will be new elections in Egypt. That's now official, right? Yes, and Sisi will be a candidate, and he's very popular. Uh, and, you know, people talk about a dictatorship, but if you look at the votes that have taken place, the, the, the generals have been getting very broad popular support. All right. All right, we'll talk more about that next week. Hey, it's Rosh Chodesh Adar, Malcolm. You know what that means? A great. That's right. Great month for Jewish. It looked like the Jewish people were finished. Remember those days? It looked like the Jewish people were finished in the month of Adar. And look... I don't remember the original, <laughs> but I've read about it. Uh, Have you read about it? <laughs> every year. <laughs> but, but again, the lessons. What is the lesson of, of, of Urim? The Achdus. Lech Kenosis you. When all the Jews came together, they could beat Haman. It wasn't one part of them. And again, the lesson from what I saw this week, that if the Knesset members from across the spectrum can, uh, we sat together not only on a cramped economy-only plane that where people, the seats were very narrow, to be sure. And uh, unfortunately, one of the other planes that that flew was delayed for five hours, so those people became really familiar with one <laughs> another. <laughs> Having spent all that time, uh, I wasn't sure that that plane was going to make it uh, if there, uh, people were so upset and they, were, they couldn't get out of the plane. They were stuck on it because it was too cold and uh, whatever. It was a mechanical problem. Uh, 
but the, I think that it was an inspiring message, not only what people said and, and some of the things that took place, but to, to see this camaraderie, which I've never seen manifest in this way. Amazing. May we all heed your words about Jewish unity. Thank you, Malcolm. Have a wonderful Shabbos. A good Rosh Chodesh. We'll speak again next week. Friday morning, it's JM in the AM on this Erev Shabbos. Parshas Truma, candle lighting at 4.52. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Chodesh. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of taking out from the Aram Kodesh to Sifri Torah. From the first, we read Parshas Truma, which according to the Chinuch contains three mitzvos. And the second Sefer Torah, we read in honor of Rosh Chodesh Ador Rishon. Beginning with Parshas Truma, we have the last five parshios in the book of Shmos, which deal with the construction of the Mikdash, the Mishkan, the sanctuary, which the Jewish people were privileged to build in the desert. I'd like to share with you a fascinating medrash, which appears in Bamidbar Rabbah 12.3. And the medrash reads as follows. Bishah when God said to Moshe, Asu li mikdash, make for me a sanctuary, nizdazea Moshe. Moshe became exceedingly troubled. Viamar, and he said, Oh my goodness, Ech yochol ha'adam la'asos bias la'kodesh baruchu. How is it possible for man to construct a home for God? After all, the verse teaches, Hashemayim ushmei Hashemayim lo yechal kalucha. After all, literally, the heavens and the heavens' heavens cannot literally sustain you. And how can we construct such an edifice. And so this was the first time that Moshe was troubled. The, now, what does God answer? Lo lefi kolchi animavakesh, elefi kolcham. Moshe, it's not in accordance with my potential that I am asking, but rather in accordance with their potential. And we'll see this great significance of that line in a moment. And God continues, All I want is Esrim Keresh Batsafon and Esrim Keresh Badorom. All I need are 20 planks in the north, 20 planks in the south, 8 in the west. And the Medrash continues, When God said to Moshe that I want Korboni Lachmi, I want a daily offering. Moshe said, my goodness, if I bring all the animals in the world, can I perhaps provide a proper offering for God? Or all the wood in the world, can that make the proper kind 
of pyre for God. And once again, Hashem says to Moshe, not like you think, Moshe. All I need is keves achod tase babokir, keves hasheni tase One lamb in the morning and one in the afternoon. And finally, when Hashem says to Moshe in Parshas Kisisa that the Jewish people shall give kofer nafsho, literally a ransom for their soul. So my goodness, Moshe said all the money in the world cannot provide a ransom. So God said, no, not like you think, Moshe, a machzis shekel, Even a half a shekel is going to suffice. The key line that God says to Moshe is, Lo lefi kochi ani I'm not asking in accordance with what I deserve or my potential, because that truly man cannot deliver. Elo lefi kocham. All I ask from you is what you can do. And this is such a powerful message. This message which was true. 3,000 years ago, when the Jewish people constructed a sanctuary, is equally true today. We're taught at the end of the second peric of Pirkei Avos, Lo Olecha Hamlacholigmor. You're never going to finish. Well, if the job is so overpowering and you know you're not going to finish it, why get started? But that's why the Mishnah continues. You don't have that opportunity. You're not free to not get involved. All God wants in reality is your effort. And indeed, as we find in chapter 21 of Mesilah Sheshurim, amazing, the idea is regarding Kedusha. Tchilaso Hishtadlus. You put in your effort initially, and so far, the end is ultimately a matana. The end will come as a gift from God. All He wants is your effort. But He wants your effort in accordance with your ability. As long as you give it your all, God does the rest. And in fact, that famous teaching that the rabbis tell us, your gati umotsasi ta'amin. If you put in the effort, you will, quote, find it, believe. That is the truth. Now, wait a second. These two terms seem to be almost at odds with one another. Yogati means to put in the effort. Mitzasi means to find something. A mitzia, as we use it in that expression, is something you didn't expect. And the answer really is that by putting in the effort, you very often get results that you didn't expect. Be it that you put in the effort in area A, and you get the results in area B. Because it's the effort that you put in which God wants. And truthfully, this is what we recite when we are privileged to complete a tractate of Talmud. At the Siyum, this passage comes from the Gemara in Brachos 28b, which tells us that when they left the Beis HaMedrash, they offered a prayer of thanksgiving to Hashem by saying, Mod Anilifonecha, 
We give thanks to you, God, that you gave me my portion among those who study in the house of study. And I am grateful that I don't waste my time with those that sit around idly. And listen carefully. In contrast to the rest of society, I put in time and effort, and so do they. I put in effort and I get reward. And they put time and effort in, and they don't necessarily get reward. Now wait a second. Take a look in the workforce. People are being paid. But the answer is, says the Chafetz Chaim so beautifully, if a tailor worked all day and he handcrafted a suit, only to find out that the measurements that he did were just a few inches off, all that work that he did, he will not be paid for. Because you're not paid for the effort as much as you're repaid for the result. In the realm of Torah, if a person sits down and studies Torah for hours, and he still honestly feels that he has not mastered the material, he gets complete and total reward for those hours that he invested. And this is the first aspect of Parshas Truma, teaching us that God says, Lo lefi kochi, but rather lefi kocham. Each person has to deliver. And as the Chafetz Chaim says so powerfully, the Talmud teaches that there were certain offerings which were a korban, Ola viorade, meaning that based upon one's financial position, he was able or, more important, obligated. A wealthy individual brought an animal. A middle-class person brought birds. And a more impoverished individual brought a meal offering. And the Talmud teaches that Oshir, a wealthy man who brings a offering that is appropriate for the poor individual, Oshir Shehevi Korban Oni, number one, Lo he did not satisfy his obligation. And number two, El Chulin Lazara. It's looked upon that this offering has no sanctity whatsoever. So we see that it has to be commensurate with your ability. In that case there, your financial ability, but the more important lesson is God wants our koach, our potential, to be invested in that right direction. 
I'd like to share with you another observation that I was thinking about a good part of the week, and that is the name of the parsha is called Truma, which is translated as a portion which man is donating to the construction of the sanctuary. Now we know that there's another term, Truma, which the Torah uses, and that refers to the gift that the Jewish farmer in the land of Israel has to give to the Kohen. And I see a strong similarity between the two regarding that which is given to the Kohen. So your giving actually elevates the food. The food itself, as the Torah says, is now called Kodesh. Kolzar loyochal Kodesh. A non-Kohen is not allowed to eat that food. Secondly, your food that you have in your possession now is freed from called tevel. Now you can eat it. Your food has become elevated. And finally, the donor who has given it to the Kohen, he becomes elevated because while he is on the farm, his giving of the truma to the Kohen enables the Kohen to be more dedicated and tied to the temple, to the Beis Hamikdash, And so you become the agent that because of your activities, you enable him to work in the temple, in the Beis Hamikdash, and therefore you too as well are elevated and become part of the Beis Hamikdash. Here too, regarding the construction of the sanctuary. As the Chinuch says in Mitzvah 95, God doesn't need a sanctuary. Man needs to build a sanctuary for him. Because when we give to the sanctuary, we then become an elevated individual. V'anshe Kodesh Tiyuli. The Kutzka says, we are to be people who are holy. And through our acts, through our building a home of sanctity, we become tied to that sanctity. We become uplifted. We become a different kind of a person. We become a generous person by our giving generously. As the Torah speaks of Nidiv Lev, the generosity of the heart. And so, just as regarding the truma, which was in a materialistic sense, the food that was given to the Kohen has this uplifting effect, so too by giving the truma, by giving the donation to the sanctuary, a person becomes a nadiv. He becomes a giver. He's transformed into a different kind of an individual and then he becomes bound to the Torah to the Beis Hamikdash through his generosity and through his giving. And therefore, we close with the way the parsha begins. It says, V'yikholi truma, literally, take for me the gift. It should be to give. But that very powerful lesson is being taught us that really, by giving, you are the one that gets the most. Shabbat Shalom and a good Chodesh to all.
JM in the AM, Shabbat in Liverpool. It's Lenny Solomon, of course, with Schlock Rock. He'll be doing our kosher halftime show. Make sure to go to NahumSiegel.com right after the first half on Sunday, and you'll see the great performance, Lenny Solomon and Schlock Rock, our incredible Super Bowl commercials and everything else. <laughs> Should be a lot of fun, to say the least. I want to wish a mazel tov to Aiden Cohen in Englewood, New Jersey. Aiden Cohen of Englewood, New Jersey, is celebrating a bar mitzvah this weekend. I saw his mom this week. Everyone's very excited. We say mazal tov from all of us here at JM and the AM. And a special mazal tov to Chaim Edelman and Chani Kramer, a recently married couple. A, um, a mazal tov to Asruli and Karen Kramer. And to Bubby Lil Mazer from all of us here at JM in the AM. Hope I got all that right. Mazal tov to the Hassan and Kala from all of us here at JM in the AM. Well, I've been saying all week that it's the best Jewish Super Bowl story ever. And Dr. Laz better prove me right. I'll tell you that right now. He's finally, he was scheduled for yesterday. He's finally with us from all the way down in the Sunshine State. The legendary Dr. Laz, who, uh, many of you know from the world of music. Many of you know from, uh, his work with um, with youth, back, both in the Jewish and black communities in Crown Heights, now, in, of course, in Florida as well. He's authored books on special needs and being a special needs teacher. He's the author of Skullcaps and Switchblades, his experiences in the, uh, it was the Buffalo or Pittsburgh, uh, school? it was the Buffalo public school system, right? Uh, where I first started, yeah. That was the Buffalo yeah. public school system. And uh, he also had Howie Man. this is true, folks, Howie Mandel played him in a movie. What was the name of that movie? Uh, the movie is called Howie as Last. No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's, uh, the, movie, it, <laughs> the movie is called Crown Heights. The movie so was called Crown Heights? That's it. I mean, it's kind of a boring title, but that, that was it. It was a cable movie, right? Uh, yeah, it was Showtime uh, made-for-TV movie, and it was like the TV movie of the month. And it's, you know, they, they play it on all the other... Um, uh, cable right. networks and it played in theaters and um, in Europe and in Israel. Yeah, let, and let's put it this way: Laz was given ten million bucks for the movie. Let's let's say it straight, Laz. Come on. <laughs> let me just say, Alavai Amen, can you? Uh, you also know him from Camp Misora. He spends his summers at Camp Misora. And uh, what many people may not know about Doctor Laz and his real name, by the way, Doctor David Lazarson. But what many people may not know about Doctor Laz is that he tried out, and this is true. The ten million bucks may not be true, but this is true. He tried out for the Buffalo Bills. What year was that that you tried to be a wide receiver with the Bills? I think that was in the Civil War days. <laughs> sure, seems that way. This it goes back. This was um, I was teaching uh, my alma mater high school, yeah. and I used to take my my students to see the Bills practice. Right. Uh, yeah, I figured a good educational trip and. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good experience in how to get autographs. Thinking one of these days we can sell all the all the clothing and stuff we got, you know, signed and and make some money off of that. But um, so yeah, so I used to talk to him, and then I met this guy, this who was a wide receiver for the Bills, utility receiver by the name of Lou Picone. And I remember Lou like, Picone. I, I remember Lou Picone. Yeah, so he, he was like three inches shorter than me, and not like a you know particularly. You know, tough guy build or anything, and he was making I don't know like twenty times what I was making as a teacher, right? <laughs> Probably more. And I thought, you know what? If this guy could do it, I could do it. So 
thus I began, you know, working out like crazy, and I found out what gym the, the Bills were working out at, and, and um, joined over there, and I used to run sprints with some of the, uh, uh, you know, some of the, the, the players there, and um, yeah, let's just say um, um, we got close, <laughs> but not quite. Yeah, it didn't work out exactly the way you would have liked. What year was it? Uh, that would have been in, oh, man, the probably um, 83, I think. Who was quarterback of the Bills in 83? Uh, um, well, this was before, before Kelly. Right. Um, I'm trying to think myself as a Jet fan. I should know this. Who was quartering the Bills in '83? <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it, it'll, it'll come to me. Um, yeah, it's funny how you don't remember. You know, you can't. Sometimes you, it's tough to remember the, the you know your athletes and stuff like that. Who even who won a Super Bowl a couple years ago, three years ago? It's funny. You my for, my family you never forgets your good teachers, right? <laughs> 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 My family says it's just the opposite. I'll remember the backup quarterback from the 1960s, but, but I don't always remember everything I should remember. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, if, if I knew Torah, like I knew music, oh, man, I'd, you, you know, I'd be the goggle outdoor. Yeah. yeah, I know. I've been through that routine before. Dr. Laz is with us live via telephone. All right, listen very carefully. I have been touting this as the best Jewish Super Bowl story ever. Oh, by the way, the answer is Joe Ferguson. Ah, okay. And I and I and I. He was good, man. Yeah, he I was good. I should have known that that Joe Ferguson was a starting quarterback. Anyway, um, so I've been touting this as the best Jewish Super Bowl story ever. If you don't come through, Doctor Laz, in the last minutes of this week on JM and the AM, if you don't come through with the best Jewish Super Bowl story ever, you are in. Big trouble, and I'm going to get Vinegret and Frank to tackle you the next time they see you. I'll tell you that much. You tell them both you're going to have to catch me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so the Buffalo Bills, as many people who know the NFL football history, are in four straight Super Bowls. Tell me about visiting those sites. Ouch. Can I first start off with the word ouch? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. You lost all four of them. Oh, man. Yeah, boy, did I... uh... Uh, what can I say? You know, I'm still in therapy for that. So the famous story, because we got to get to this, the famous story with you and Marv Levy was the first, second, third, or fourth Buffalo Bills Super Bowl. Uh, well, there, you know, I mean, it began already um, when Levy was first starting to coach it. And, you know, I just wanted to mention, well, Ferguson was quarterback. I think right. that was the, the, the year right, the first year that they actually signed Kelly. May have been in '83. Kelly started, I think, in '85. I think he started as starting quarterback in '85. Ah, uh, you are good, man. <laughs> I'm not good. I got Wikipedia, and it's and, and and you may be right. You may be right that Kelly didn't start when he was first signed. Who knows? Anyway, so go ahead. So yeah. so you you decide all four times to go with the team to the Super Bowl. Well, no, I only went to the fourth one, but okay. the first one. Um, I figured, okay, you know, we need a little divine intervention. And I had actually been in touch with Levy for a while. Right. Um, you know, a nice Jewish coach, right? Not too many. Right. <laughs> uh, Jewish coach of the NFL. And he went to Harvard. And um, Bruce, Smith, uh, uh, Bruce Smith told me that they bring uh, paper and pens to write down all of the words that they never heard before in their lives. <laughs> from when Levy would give team meetings. Are you serious? 
Yeah, he was that he smart. Was, uh, he was, uh, I think he was an English major at Harvard. Nice. And so, you know, he was very um, kind of cerebral coach and, right. uh, um, you know, loved to, he, you know, just he loved to, to, to speak in a good English. Right. <laughs> and was very profound in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, that, like they asked him before that fourth Super Bowl, um, one of the replies, I mean, this was on, you know, national TV, big stuff, you know, and they asked him, um, what, uh, this has got to be like a life or death situation for you and the Bills. And so he said, life or death. He said, I, w- I was in World War II. That was life or death. Ooh, <laughs> this is, very good. This is, this is a game. It's important, but, you know, <laughs> very good. In perspective. No, All right, so go ahead. Go ahead. Two. I'm rushing you along. Go ahead, yeah. Yeah. So I know this was the fourth, the first three Super Bowls, I tried to get. People who uh, who lived in that town to go to put film on them. They, All right, so they, so the, the here's the premise. The premise is Laz believes if he can get Marv Levy, the coach of the Buffalo Bills, to put on Tefillin, they have a much better chance to win the game. Simple as that. Right. Totally. Okay. Totally. So obviously, my conflict would have been: what happens if in that fourth Super Bowl with the Cowboys, if they had a Jewish coach or a Jewish player, would I go put Tefillin on them? Well, first let's start up with Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Let's worry about the home team first. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, it's they'll tell you the thing. You put out the show to get your car, right? Right. right. And, but I was already known as the uh, the Buffalo Bills rabbi at that point in time because of my communication with Levy. And right. um, I sent him a mezuzah. I sent him a Bills keeper with, you know, with right. the logo on it. And All right. He, 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 so- he wrote me back every time and was uh, sent me his book that he wrote. You know, and all right. So we have, so we have yeah. two. We have two minutes left. So now it's the oh mor- so now it's the morning of of Super Bowl twenty whatever. Yeah, this is a two hour story though. I know. Believe me, I know. <laughs> so okay. So right now, three years in a row, I can't get anybody to go to. You know, I get people to go. I even got the um, the. Chabad Shlech in Minnesota, when it, when it was in Minnesota one year, yeah. um, he was the one who put in on Sandy Koufax wow. before the World Series. Okay, so he'll go, he'll do it. And Levy's turned him down. He, Even he couldn't do it. Okay, so I now think, it's your turn. Now you right. get there. Right, it's my turn. I figure, okay, uh, you know what? And this is, this you is, can't give the switch hook to somebody else. you got to do it yourself. This is Super Bowl twenty seven in 1994. They're about to play Dallas. Right. And it's in and Georgia. You're down in Atlanta. Right. So we fly. There was a whole crazy way we got there. Don't, don't ask. I mean, we, we didn't really decide to the So Levy's in the hotel. We have 60 seconds left. Levy's in the hotel. Levy's in the hotel. I'm downstairs uh, walking around. And with my bills keep on, people are coming up to me. And, oh, that's awesome. We, uh, we need all, you know, the extra cock we can get, you know, and that kind of stuff. And I'm telling them that I'm the Bills rabbi, and they're looking at me like, yeah, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, just some loony Jewish guy, loony, lunatic fan. And, yeah, we sneak onto the elevator, and we, we weren't allowed to go on the third floor. Well, first, when I'm downstairs, this, um, uh, a lady comes up to me, and she says, oh, you, wait here, i got to get my husband. She comes back with this guy who's like, Twice my height, twice my width, this huge guy. And, um, and the introducer himself, he says to me, Oh, that's the greatest thing I ever saw. And I'm like, What are you talking about? He says, You know, you're a beanie on your head. And I said, Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm like, um, the company at Buffalo Bills Rabbi. So he says, well, What are you guys doing here? And, um, I said, Well, we're here to see the coach. And 
um, he tells me his name, Jim Richter, and I said, uh, I remember. Oh, you used to, right? Yeah. He says, he says, yeah. You, you, I said to him, you used to play for the Bills. Right. He says to me, I still do. Yeah. <laughs> I said, yeah, I knew that. <laughs> so, and he says, what are you guys doing here? We tell him that we're here to see the coach and uh Lads, get to the point please we brought special goodies we brought um my buddy brings uh some uh some lachaim wine you know from the right right Right. he says uh well can i have some of that (laughs) now you ain't gonna refuse jim richter you know (laughs) so how did he get to levy (laughs) yeah so what he says he goes up we tell him we bring a tzedakah box for the team and for the coach right and he um he he um he brings it upstairs to the third floor. He comes back down ten minutes later. He says, "Well, you know, the coaches in meetings and stuff." He says, "Thank you so much for coming." And um, you know, and he, he shouted that he just has no time to, to see you now, but he thanks you very much for coming. And um, here's tickets front row on the fifty yard line. Holy cow! You're serious. No, that part I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I recall, if I recall correctly, you didn't even go to the game. Exactly right. right. We were. You know, a couple of uh, teachers, you know, with, right. who's got the ten thousand bucks for tickets, right. you know. So anyhow, um, I decide that you know what we've uh, we got to get up to. The third okay, floor. Laz, finish it up, finish it up, Laz, go. Okay, we sneak out to the elevator. We get up to the, the third floor. We're walking around, and this hotel, the whole middle part of the hotel, is like you can look up to. Go, your Laz, Laz, like, finish up the story, please. Okay, as I'm walking there, the whole place comes to this dead quiet because they see me and, and my other buddy, Ronnie Fine, both with yarmulkes, you know, the Bills rabbi. The whole place comes deadly quiet. And we're walking there, and we run into Jim Kelly. We see Jim Kelly. We give him some goodies, et cetera, et cetera. And you, and, and you say to Marv Levy? And we, we, the guy kicks us off the third floor and sends us back down. He says, if you guys try to sneak up here again, we're going to kick you out of the hotel. Here's the clincher. On the way out, one of the guys from the hotel says, listen, everybody thinks the bills are leaving from the front. They're sneaking out the back. Right. So I'm sorry for you guys. I saw you get kicked off the third floor. You know where the team is. Um, Go out the back, and maybe you can see the coach then. So we hang out the back. The coach, we see the coach come out. He jumps into a a limo. Instead of coming straight, he... Okay, and here's your chance. He just gets into the limo, and here's your chance. You go up to him and say... No, and then the limo locks, they start driving away, yeah. and we're figuring, oh my God, this is horrible. And the limo stops right next to us. <gasps> Go ahead. The assistant coach jumps out, yeah. comes over to me, and he says, oh man, I love that. And we're like, what? He says, you're young. Right, right. Right? He says, I, we, he said, what are you doing there? We said, well, we came to see the coach. We got something special for him. Oh, well, come on over to the limo. So we go over to the limo, and they're on their way to the Super Bowl. They're, they're on their way to the game. And the coach, uh, I look in there, and, I, and, and the coach says, Oh, you know, Dr. Glass, thank you so much, you know, for coming. I said, Well, you know, I got some uh, show. You got a moment to put on Triller now. This is it. This says, is it. This is it. And, and he says to me, No, I can't do it. Now. Oh! Final score, Dallas. Final score. Dallas 30, Buffalo 13. For those of you football historians who wondered why, Dr. Laz just told you why. Because when he asked Marv Levy, the coach on the Buffalo Bills, to put on Philly, what did he say, Dr. Laz? He said to me, 
he used to call me Rabbi. Rabbi Laz, he said, okay, give us your blessing. So I said, in the name of the Hebrew prophets, may you <clears throat> put it to him. <laughs> and that was the end of that. And then thus they drove away, leaving me with my chilling bag in hand. Dr. Laz, you're amazing. I'm sorry we got. I'm sorry we have to finally end this. But there you have it, one of the best Jewish football stories ever. If you historians were wondering how Dallas beat Buffalo that year, now you know how. And the wind, the only one, say a special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine. Man and his creator, it's a very, 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 Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard a listener sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web. It's JM and the AM.org. My special thanks to Dr. David Lazarson, the legendary Dr. Laz, his story of trying and begging Marv Levy of the Buffalo Bills to put on fill-in at the last moment before heading to the Super Bowl back in 1994. Thank you so much, everybody. Don't forget, Kosher Halftime Show. Go to my website, NahumSingle.com, Sunday after the first half to enjoy that. Thanks to Letty Solomon and Schlock Rock. And um, Avrami has Saturday Night Siegel tomorrow night. Matis has JM Sunday on Sunday, and Naomi Nachman comes up next with Table for Two on our stream at jmnam.org. And then, of course, a full day of amazing Erev Shabbos and Rosh Chodesh selections. Have a fabulous Shabbos. Great weekend. Till next time, Nachum Single reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.